If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons. If it's inspired you and you're able to support this podcast starting at just $1 per month, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. With this being an independent platform, I am looking for more support to be able to continue the show. So thank you so much if you're already a patron. It helps a lot and I really do appreciate it. There is always resources. It's a question of how, how you want to channel them. And I think Climate change is going to ask us those questions like we've never had them asked before. And there's a real opportunity to say, actually, we need to question some of these things in order to say really where, where we want money to be going and what it's most needed for. That was Nick Buxton, a climate justice activist, a communications consultant at the Transnational Institute, which is an international research and advocacy institute committed to building a just, democratic and sustainable world, and the co-editor of the book, The Secure and the Dispossessed, How the Military and Corporations Are Seeking to Shape a Climate-Changed World. This is part two of our extended two-part conversation, so if you haven't already, make sure to first listen to episode 175 before diving into this episode, where we're going to continue to explore the environmental impacts of the U.S. military-industrial complex, how an era of permanent war between countries led by our political leaders may be taking away the resources and attention needed to address the real crises that people on the grounds are facing on a day-to-day basis, and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. I would love to talk about our military a little more and its role and impact on our environmental issues. The Pentagon released a report last year that stated the effects of a changing climate are a national security issue with potential impacts to Department of Defense missions, operational plans and installations. 
I feel like there's a general impression based on what I've heard that the U.S. military is more progressive in calling for climate action from the government. Is this actually true on the, in practice? And how is the military incorporating knowledge on climate change into its work? But the military, it thinks long term and strategically. So it's, it can't afford to just deny something that's happening in science. So in that sense, it has been seen as a kind of an ally on climate change just because it will talk about it. But then you have to ask, what is, what, what's their interests and what is the interest of national security? And, and is that the same as as our interests? And will that address climate change? And And what you see when you look into the plans in terms of the main military concerns is not, for example, those who are most vulnerable and how they'll be affected. If you were to look at it through a, a human lens, you'd say, okay, who's going to be most affected by climate change and how do we protect them? But you won't find that in a, in a US military plan or a European Union military plan. Um, what you'll find is, firstly, what's the impacts to their infrastructure? So the US is particularly concerned about military bases. And, they, and they're not going to hide from the truth. That's why they, they, they're not climate deniers, even though they're having to obscure their language a little bit. So they, they, there's something like 1,774 installations that could face some form of flooding, because, increased flooding because of climate change. So they're, they're concerned about that. They're also concerned about the impact of heat on on troops as they fight. And they're also a bit concerned about the, the, their, their dependence on oil because it actually makes them quite vulnerable. What they found in Iraq was that, and in Afghanistan, was that the troops, they, they had a real vulnerability that they, they needed oil for the tanks, the jets, which are hugely, I mean, Pentagon's the largest, single largest user of petroleum in the world. Mm. So, so they, they, they're very dependent on oil for, for the whole infrastructure. But of course, what would happen was that the militants fighting them would realize that if they bombed a whole lot of tankers, oil tankers, that was one of the most effective ways of getting uh, of undermining the U.S. military. So they're concerned also about their oil use for that for that reason, and they concern and they talk about the conflicts that will arise that they'll have to respond to. So in that sense, they are serious about climate change, but they're also their interests are not, that doesn't mean the same thing as that they're necessarily a progressive ally on it because they're looking at it through this national security lens, which doesn't look at the most vulnerable. And what you find is that they're still largely about, if you look at national security plans, it's around ensuring that they talk about economically significant areas. And so they're very much tied to a model of like, how do we defend where the most profitable shipping routes are? which are the most profitable regions of the world. And so it comes through a very much still a kind of, like I started this conversation about securing those who already have wealth right. rather than looking at those who will be most impacted by climate change, which will be a very different uh, group of people. So that's why I always urge caution. I, I think, I think it's, uh, it can be useful at times to say, look, even the military are talking about this as we talk about it, just to show that this is not some left liberal conspiracy, that this is something that anyone who takes the science seriously appreciates happening. But I also said, do you really want your future to be t determined under a lens of security and decided by the richest and, and by the military? Are they going to come up with the solutions that we actually need at this time? And my, my belief is that they won't. They, they, 
they, they will have a response, but it's, it should, we shouldn't let our response be guided by those particular principles of security and, and wealth. Well, because this military-industrial complex profits off of, I guess, more interventionist strategies to international policy, and they also profit off of more things done in terms of national security. To me, it sounds like I've been hearing about how they're using more solar panels, reducing their reliance on fossil fuel, maybe. But for me, it sounds like those are just incremental steps that they're taking without looking at the bigger picture of the impacts that they're having. Yes, I think I think that's the case. I mean, they've, they've, there's, they can put solar panels on bases. That's a fairly easy thing to do. But one of the one of the real struggles they have to for the Pentagon to ever become green, as it were, is that they that they have such a big infrastructure and it's dependent on particularly things like jets and tanks are highly dependent on oil and are not easily to replace. You can't get a solar powered plane. Um, and we know that planes use up a lot of fuel and, and B-52, if you look at a B-52 Stratocruiser or something, it's in just one hour, it will use up the amount of oil that a typical driver will use in about seven years. So it's, these are huge uh, gas guzzling vehicles and it's very hard for them to replace those. And even if they started to use alternative fuels, the amount of land you'd need just to grow, for example, the agro or you know, oil that comes from crops would displace land that could be used for production of food and have impact on food prices. And you have to ask, why, why is it that the U.S. has 800 military bases around, around the world? And I think we have to start asking those questions. Um, and they are largely in, firstly, you'll find them largely in oil-rich regions. So they're very much around securing areas where there is a lot of extraction going on of oil and minerals and so on that is part of, part of fueling the climate crisis. So they're very much, and to me, they're embedded in the, in the crisis rather than the solution to it. And so and I, I think it's time in the US that there was much more of a conversation about are we getting security from this? Is this something we want to invest in? If you just took 10% of the US military spending, that's 100, um, you could release $170 billion. Now, that money could be invested in a massive renewable energy uh, transition in this country uh, with the talk of with ideas such as the Green New Deal, we're going to have to look at where that's financed. And, and part of it would be transitioning a lot of the money that goes into the military into actually the kind of transition we need in terms of our infrastructure here, retrofitting houses, producing better public transit systems. There's a much better use of that expenditure that in the end would give us the kind of security that most people actually want rather than one that's invested in, in a lot of... Um, wars and in defending certain interests overseas that doesn't serve the majority of Americans. Mm. It's definitely interesting to note how whenever we talk about ways to improve our society in terms of what's happening on the ground, there's always the question of how are you going to pay for this? And whenever we talk about military activity, like that's not ever really raised as a question. Yeah, exactly. And yet there's huge amounts of money. It's, it's, and it, it's something like, I think, almost half of the discretionary funding every every year that's um, put in budgets goes towards the military. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of money. And, and there is a lot of need in this country and a lot of needs overseas for the most vulnerable. And so that kind of 
there, there is always resources. It's a question of how, how you want to channel them. And I think climate change is going to ask us those questions like we've never had them asked before. Mm-hmm. And there's a real opportunity to say, actually, we need to question some of these things in order to say really where, where we want money to be going and what it's most needed for. In your article titled Securing Whose Future? Militarism in the Age of the Climate Crisis, it basically says that the path we're going down right now with our continued global conflicts is creating the binary world that the neocons and terrorists seek, an era of permanent war in which all of our attention and resources are absorbed, and the real crises of poverty, inequality, unemployment, social alienation, and the climate crisis are ignored. End quote. I feel like At this time, I mean, most people around the world really want peace. So how do you think we can work against or work through this power structure so that we can actually have decisions being made on behalf of the people and not being gamed for the people at the top? I think the big thing we have to take on is is money in politics. And we have to start putting really strict caps on the amount of money that can go into elections from corporations, the campaign contributions that they make, the way that basically only candidates with a, largely with large corporate donors, um, which happen to be often corporations, the largest corporations, oil industry, the military, and holds and beholds them to that and makes and makes what's what, what's needed seem either impossible or unpragmatic. So we really have to take that money out of the politics and and put really strict limits on the influence of these corporations who are benefiting from it. Beyond getting uh, money out of politics and corporate influence out of politics, we need to be starting to have more of those those debates. Um, We need to, within our communities, start to say, and I, I see these conversations happening. There's a lot of com- conversations about how do we transition to a green economy? How do we transition? Also, how do we adapt to climate change? So I, I think I think part of that is is both identifying what are the what are the causes of climate change, and I think a lot of that's starting to come through in terms of the the whole movement against fossil fuel investment and and removing fossil fuel money. And we need to extend that to talking also about other corporations who are profiting from climate change, um, the banking sector, and some of the other firms who who seem to want to make money out of climate crisis, and the military who actually feel like a world of permanent war is something they can profit from, so it's not something opposed. So, as we start to build our our local responses, we're gonna we're gonna get to a point where we also need to think about what needs to change it. At national level and international level, and who do we want to be? Who do we want to be leading our response to to the crisis? Um, and, and those are going to start to ask questions about where money is going, who's who's giving money, uh, and, and where our investments are properly made. So I, I, I'm I'm hopeful. I think that there is a, a sea change of opinion. I think the whole movements that are emerging of young people around the climate strikes right now, the school school climate strikes, I think the whole movement against divestment in the fossil fuel industry, the whole talk of the Green New Deal here is talking about a different way of doing responding to a crisis, which is, which is much more transformative 
than it has been before. And we need to have those conversations about transformation. I, I just feel that one thing came through in our book and which I want to stress to those who are listening is just that we need to make sure we often talk about the oil industry, but we don't often talk about the military. And I think the military are part of the the, the problem. And we need to really uh, look at the military industrial complex as well, because they thrive in a world of insecurity and they thrive on having more and more insecurity and demanding that the only answer is more money going to the military to deal with that. And that's not the world we want to live in. So we just need to make sure that we bring bring that into our, our critique and say the transformation we need against money and against oil also needs to be a transformation uh, against military and security into one based more on peace and justice. Well, this can be quite a stressful topic to talk about, but I also don't think that it's wise to sugarcoat the truth if we want to have a chance at changing the path that we go down. So I really appreciate the difficult work that you're doing in investigating this and really getting to the heart of what is happening. To close, what would you recommend that we can do as individuals to be able to have the greatest positive impact and to reclaim our agency as we continue to deal with these monstrous extractive organizations and corporations that have emerged? I think it's just important to get involved locally and politically. In, in my community here in Davis in California, I've got very involved in, in the Davis Green New Deal Coalition. And the reason I got involved in that is because it's talking about, it treats climate crisis as an emergency. And it says we don't, we can't just have like partial solutions. We need to have a real transition of the economy and, and there will be rapid scaling up of renewable infrastructure. We have to stop climate change getting worse because the impacts will only accelerate uh, the more we allow the crisis to, to unfold. But we need to marry that to justice. And that's why I appreciate that David, the Green New Deal's focus on saying that we need to combine this with jobs for the most vulnerable. We need to provide jobs for those moving out of the oil industry. And we need to have big resources, which also means redirecting resources from the military towards the kind of transformations we need. So that's one area I've, I've decided to kind of invest my, my own energies and, and people will have different places that they can place that. But I really think we need to, I've always felt that we need to kind of marry local action um, and, and transform in our own communities with a, a national and international vision as well, because the options and possibilities we have will also be determined by what's what's set at a national or international level. And because as we move into a world where, where things are more unstable and where there's more crisis, those international links will be will be really critical. And we can't all live, we can't kind of create a nice little eco village and then be immune from what's happening in Central America as people are forced to migrate. We have to we have to have responses that are international in nature as well. Um, so get involved locally, but keep keep an international perspective and see how we can support those, you know, make the connections and support those struggling. So there are ways of, in our climate coalition here in, in Davis, we're also looking at how we respond to the to the crisis on the border. Um, we're not too far from the border being in California, but how do we respond in, in, in a compassionate and generous and loving way to, to migrants? And um, I think that's those bringing the local and the international together is always critical. 
Before we go into our final five, I just wanted to mention real quick that if you're relatively new to Green Dreamer and would like my guidance on which episodes to listen to first among the many that are waiting for you, you can head to greendreamer.com slash embark to get my starter guide of our most popular episodes across a wide range of topics as well as some of my personal favorites. Again, that's greendreamer.com slash embark. If you've been around a while and would like to become a patron of the show to support this work, access extended content, and our Green Dreamer network, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. Either way, thank you so much for being here and for your huge heart and dedication. For now, moving on to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? One place that's given me hope right now is, is a project I've been involved in called Transformative Cities. And it's a website, transformativecities.org. And it's about how communities in different places are really finding public community-based solutions driven by people rather than profit and all over the world. So there's some really inspiring stories on there that give a lot of hope from Jackson in Mississippi through to um, communities in India and um, Africa and elsewhere. So that's that's one place which I, I recommend both for the inspiration, but also for the ideas it can give for what we can do in our own communities. Mm. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and motivated? When you deal with climate and if you deal with militarism, it can, they're heavy subjects. And I think the thing that gives keeps me going is is really taking action because we can either accept it, uh, which would be far too depressing, or we can say, I can do something about this, especially if I get together with others. So, And as you get together with others, you realize that even in your own small way, you can start to create these connections that we all need at times of crisis. So you build connection with people and you build community. And those are all critical elements that we'll need at a time of climate instability. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? I'm taking digital detoxes. <laughs> so taking time out from watching news or being on the phone. And uh, I get out and hike. Um, and I spend time with my kids. They're all those things that help me think about things in a very, in a much more positive light and, and help you not get dragged down by, by the news that can be you know, very disturbing sometimes. What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for a healthier and more just world? So I think I mentioned, but this the work I'm doing here here on on the Green New Deal, looking at how we can lead to a transformation both in our community and how we can also push these kind of transformative politics, whether it's in the upcoming next year's election or at national level. So that's one way I get involved here. What makes you most hopeful for our planet and world at the moment? The school kids who uh, have been striking and they're planning this big action on the, the week of the September the 20th to the 27th. I, I, I just saw this amazing documentary of all the kids and they're all like 14, 15 years old in, in Europe, all organizing this amazing transnational response and um, getting out on the streets and saying, this is our future. We're not, gonna, we're not going to just accept inaction. And and uh, leaving school and and organizing and doing things which uh, you know people who had this idea that young people are apolitical I don't think that's at all true we're seeing quite the opposite right now and it's there's a lot of hope because they're showing us the way 
Well, Green Dreamer, if you'd like to stay updated on Nick's work and learn more more from him, you can head to tni.org. You can check out his book, The Secure and the Dispossessed, at climatesecurityagenda.org. And you can follow him on Twitter at Nick Buxton. That's N-I-C-K-B-U-X-T-O-N. Nick, we appreciate you and thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? I love the idea of dreaming. I think it's a way of uh, saying that, of opening that possibility. Imagine that we can live in a different world, uh, and but that will involve us taking on systems of injustice. Uh, it will involve it will involve political struggle, but it also involves the power of creativity to think and imagine that we don't have to live in a world where the most vulnerable um, are sacrificed, and that we can protect all and and live in a better world. So, yeah, just keep up, keep up the good work. And thank you so much for this opportunity to, to talk with you and for the, for the work you do in helping people think through solutions uh, and a way forward. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. To support the show, access extended content, and join our Green Dreamer network, you can head to greendreamer.com support for more information. To receive weekly solutions-driven news around ecological regeneration and intersectional sustainability, you can sign up to our free Green Dreamer Weekly Digest at greendreamer.com. And if you'd like to come say hey to let me know that you're tuning in, you can find me on Instagram at greendreamerpodcast and at Shane. Finally, as we're wrapping up here, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.